we, we live in an age when if we apply the truth to the heart of sinful man, it may or may not get a reaction. Very often today, people are so careless in their attitude that when you tell them what they know, their conscience doesn't even begin to work. And they just look at you blankly. They have no reaction. They're so uh, not careless attitude means that it doesn't impact them at all. But if you persist in trying to apply and provoke, the, put the word into their hearts, you may get a reaction. The reaction that comes from others who become angry and upset and annoyed because we dare to tell them that they are inadequate, that they are sinners, that they need to be saved. And as we come here this evening to think about the apostles and the reaction that they received from the word, we hopefully will be encouraged by how they reacted to the treatment that they received. God, of course, is overruling in all of the things that we see. And we see this very much as we come this evening to, to think about rejoicing and sufferings for the name. For that was what the apostles were able to do. But why had they been brought to suffer? Because of truth. And only for the fact that there was a man called Gamaliel in the Sanhedrin, they might have actually lost their lives, but God had him there for in his purpose. And so this evening, as we look at this passage, it ends with the apostles rejoicing. Rejoicing because they were counted worthy of the name of Jesus. Before we get to that, however, I want to focus first of all on the fact that we, there are here three voices, uh, and we're speaking to voice. First voice is a voice for voices for the truth. And it's interesting as I read this portion concerning Gamaliel, this whole section is bracketed by truth. That's why we read the portion we looked at last time in Acts at the end of the previous uh, section where having been taken into the Sanhedrin, Peter was telling them very clearly, we must obey God rather than men. But remember, as we read, Peter didn't leave it there. Peter went on to speak clearly to the Sanhedrin. He knew what they needed to hear and he declared the truth to them. He speaks to them of Jesus Christ, the one whom they had crucified. And he's not afraid to point the finger at them and say, it was your doing. And then he goes on to declare him to be the, the Son of God, the one raised for the forgiveness of sins. And I wonder sometimes if the Sanhedrin were squirming as they felt the weight of Peter's words or were they so taken up with their own foolishness that they just thought this man's mad 
and want rid of him. But Peter speaks the truth, even though he had been told not to. He brings God's word to bear. He exalts the Savior who has been exalted to God's right hand. And he tells them through him, through Jesus, repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel has come. Again and again, Peter emphasizes the Savior. He points them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He lifts his voice, but he does so in common with the other apostles. And we see the exact same thing at the end. And we speak more about that at the end, but at the very end, what do they do? They go from house to house speaking the word, teaching the truth. The truth is on their lips, even though they have been told, in fact punished for doing so, told that they shouldn't. The truth, voices for the truth. Peter gives voice to the truth, unafraid of the fact that he and the others may come across angry Sanhedrin members again. What a message to you and me in our day. What does our world need? What does our community and what do people in our power need? They need to hear the truth. And we rejoicing today in the work that is being done on our behalf through our Commission of Synod, meeting with leaders and confronting them with their responsibility to Jesus Christ, Lord and King of all. Telling them the truth, truth that is sidelined so often in places where it is most needed. And sometimes Christians in the political sphere, my concern is that we don't hear enough of them referring to Christ as the Lord of all. Now they all have their own reasons for that, but surely it must be a driving force behind the way in which they will work. They need to hear the truth. People today need to hear the message of sin in their hearts, forgiveness from Christ and mercy through Christ from God. And we need to be men and women who are prepared to stand up and tell them the truth. It's not easy. You will meet with different reactions and difficult part. But here's voices for the truth. Let us continue to voice truth at every opportunity. And I wonder, do we take opportunities that arise? We should pray, and I would encourage you to pray that God will help you to speak a word in season. We're sometimes too slow. We need to do it lovingly and carefully. There are places and times But people should know where you and I stand. There's so much debate about all the things that are going on today. They should know what you and I stand for. It's not simply that we're against abortion. It's not simply that we don't want marriage redefined. It's because dishonor. We want to get them to see that truth that drives us 
and motivates us to oppose the wickedness of our society. If it was simply my whim or my simple desire, we wouldn't have the same force. I think that's the reason why some in our denomination have have, let, have formed the Let Them Live campaign because they wanted to bring Christ into the whole matter. There are other good organizations speaking, but Christ is not always to the fore. A voices for the truth. But then secondly, in these verses, there is a voice for reason right in the heart of the Sanhedrin. It is really little surprise to us when we come to verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. You can imagine these uh, members of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, Pharisees, who gathered together, and they hear this, and the finger is pointed at them. You're guilty of the murder of the, the Son of God, of the very Messiah. And you can imagine how they are annoyed and uh, very upset that they should be spoken to in that way by a man who was a fisherman, by Peter of all people, unschooled man, a man who hadn't sat down and read the law as they had, but a man who had been with Jesus. They are utterly infuriated. They are ready to put the death penalty into place. They have been accused of murdering the innocent and they do not like it. This was a dangerous situation. It was dangerous for the apostles. They were in danger of losing their life. But it was also dangerous from the point of view of the Sanhedrin. And Gamaliel is a man who sees this. He understood that should anything be done against the apostles, it would actually alienate more and more of the people. He could see that there was danger for the Sanhedrin, for the leaders themselves, if they were to take such drastic action. And so we see him arise in this situation and come with a voice of reason. And he wants to reason with them. He's a man who is highly honored respected. A Pharisee whose words have weight even with the Sadducees. A Pharisee whose counsel has already been known to be good and wise. A man who was in fact the teacher of Saul of Tarsus. Saul who later became of course the apostle Paul. A wise and respected ruler. So what does he say with his voice of reason? First of all, he speaks or assumes in the background there is a truth in his mind. And that truth is that God is sovereign. That if it is a purpose of God, then to stand against him is futility. He believes and knows that God is able to do all things. That's the great truth on which he stands and is ready to speak. And that was something that many would have accepted, that God is able to do mighty and wonderful things. God can change the course of men. God can do what we might think is impossible. He can protect 
those whom he wanted to protect and cut down those whom will be cut down. And so Gamaliel, as a teacher, is very aware of the debate, but he knows that there's a sovereign God over all things, watching, examining what is going on. And so, that's the truth. Friends, that's a truth that you and I also need to bear in mind. In all that is happening, even in our day, our Lord is in control. Things may not work out the way we as human beings want uh, or even think is right for God's purposes. We feel that it is actually against God that these laws should come upon our land. But if it's God's purpose to bring such judgment on our people that they kill the unborn and reap more and more of the wrath of God, that will be God's purpose. And we must accept that he is sovereign and able to do whatever he pleases. But we are encouraged by this because he is able to turn the whole thing on its head, to change it around and to say, I am going to do something completely different. So Gamaliel understood the truth of God. After that, Gamaliel then illustrates the truth. And maybe I've spoken about the truth because that's what's behind the illustrations that he gives. And he uses two particular instances that had taken place. First of all, he speaks of a man, Theodos, who sometime prior had appeared, claiming to be somebody, claiming to be able to to rise a revolt, to stand up for the Israelites against the Romans. He had gathered a good gathering, 400 men around him, and he had begun to seek to have an impact on society. But as Gamaliel points out, he was killed. And shortly after that, the people around him were scattered. Soon nothing came of his uprising. And Gamaliel's point is really, that was just of man. If that had been of God, it wouldn't have stopped. But that was of man. And to back that example up, he illustrates with a more recent example in their day, that of Judas the Galilean, who had appeared at a time when a census had been taken and led a band of people in revolt. Judas was a zealot. Zealot zeal for Israel, zeal against the Roman overlords. He raised a a group of people who would not pay the Romans their taxes. And he gathered round him like-minded people who were zealous for Israel and wanted to stop paying taxes to the Romans and to raise a rebellion. What had happened to him? Well, Gamaliel has said, that he also was quickly put to death by the Romans and his followers again were scattered. They were scattered. Now, they were still zealots, but they had no power. They weren't united. Uh, And we will read in Scripture in the New Testament, we come to the zealots on different occasions. So-and-so was a zealot. They were part of this group who were zealous for Israel. 
Some of them became zealous for Christ. What a joy that was. But here's the illustration. And Gamaliel is saying, think about what happened there. These movements got up and going, but came to nothing. And so Gamaliel is underlining the truth that if God is purpose, he will overrule. Let me issue a word of warning concerning the illustrations. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes a thing that is of God can grow and develop and then seem to almost disappear. And one would say, well, that mightn't have been of God because there's nothing happening. It looks as if it is stalled or at least almost disappeared. But God is still at work, quietly, unnoticed, in the background, God can still be at work. We could think of days even in the church. Was it not of God? Whenever the church and the truth of God seemed to be all but disappear before the time of Reformation, was that mean it wasn't of God that everything was just being assimilated into the world and man was king? No, but God was at work. God was at work raising up people who were be zealous for truth and men like Knox and Luther, Calvin and others eventually came to the fore because it was God's work. And for a time it was quietly done. Or we could think of even the Old Testament. Think of Israel going down into Egypt. Was this not the family of God? Why are they being taken away from the land of promise in under a ruler who has new thoughts towards God. What was God's purpose? Egypt was the womb out of which Israel came. All the time when it didn't look like much, God was at work. So while Gamaliel uses these illustrations, we need to be careful about how we approach them. That brings us thirdly to think about how Gamaliel applies the truth. Here's his voice of reason and here's it coming through most clearly at verse 38. Therefore, he says, in the present case, I, and I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. That was good advice. There are problems with it in that sometimes the purposes of man go on and on and on and it is only of man but it can grow to such in a substantial uh, way because that is God's ultimate purpose that he is going to show his hand. You could think of communism for one thing It was just the purpose of man. And it grew to quite an extent before crumbling. Because in our time scale, and in Gamaliel's time scale, it's not God's time scale. But it is certainly true. If it's only of man, it'll come to nothing. And if it is of God and you oppose it, you're not opposing men, you're opposing God. And that ought to give people 
cause for thought in our day. As they bring in all kinds of things that are selfish and godless. They are and need to be told that they are opposing God. So he applies the truth. It might look reasonable and satisfactory to finish the matter. He was able to sway the Sanhedrin. Their anger cooled. But what did they do? They flogged the poor apostles. They beat them for no reason other than that they had spoken of a Messiah called Jesus Christ who had been put to death on the cross. And they sent them away saying to them again, you are not allowed to teach in this name. But Before we move from this voice for reason, was Gamaliel really as good as he could have been? Well, the answer is no. Surely he should have voiced what he had seen. Here he is as an indecisive man, you see. He's saying, just let's wait and see. Let's wait and see how this turns out. But was there not already enough evidence to show that God was in these things? Had he not heard and heard many testimonies about a risen Savior? Had he not spoken to people who themselves had witnessed the man who had died on the cross on the earth speaking to people? Surely he had. Had he not witnessed and heard witness of the ministry of Jesus Christ healing the sick and raising the dead? You see, this man was a voice for reason in the Sanhedrin but really, he should have gone further. He should have had a voice for truth. He should have been saying, actually, these men are right. Look at what is happening. We must change our thinking. But he was not man enough to stand up and say that or didn't understand enough. He was still not able to embrace the Savior. And the lesson for us is that we are at times when we might voice very reasonable arguments and very proper arguments. But we need to drive to the truth that, as I said that previously, we need to drive to the truth behind those things. Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yes, at times we may get into trouble with other people. We may be looked down upon or whatever. But the apostles were flogged. And look at how they rejoice in their flogging. That brings us to the third voice, the voices of rejoicing. Now can you credit that? Can you think about that for a moment? You've just been beaten up for doing the work of God, what would you or I do? I would moan. I would be giving off and thinking, how awful this is. I would be thinking, being sorry for myself. I would think this is terrible. And we do think about the persecuted church and, and are aware of that and are up in arms and hate what we see. Not the apostles. 
Their voices were raised in rejoicing because they had been found worthy of suffering for the name. That means the name of Jesus, the name of the Messiah for God. What a, a, they counted a privilege that in, in serving God, the Lord of heaven, and in speaking about Jesus, they had been accompanying Jesus in his sufferings. And they rejoiced in that because they were counted worthy, that they were close enough to Christ to take part in his sufferings. It's hard to take that in. But they rejoiced in it. We are his. We are alongside him. And though we have suffered, we rejoice because we know the truth has been told. It was a badge of honor for them. The very thing that would have been a badge of shame and disgrace to many. And it would have been a badge of utter shame and disgrace. Imagine being taken out and flogged. You have done something very wrong. You've been flogged and beaten up in public and cast out. That would have been something to be ashamed of because you were either a murderer or, or, or more likely a thief or somebody who had molested others or done something really wrong. Matter of shame. But for the apostles, they were rejoicing because there was a badge of honor that they had been found worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. I wonder how you would react if you were imprisoned for the gospel. If you had been witnessing faithfully, appropriately, lovingly for the truth, you were taken imprisoned. Would we rejoice? Well, the apostles teach us that we should rejoice that God counted your witness worthy to suffer as Christ suffered, to suffer for him. Not rejoicing that you're in pain or that you've actually had to go through that experience, but because in Jesus you're doing his will and were found worthy in his service. Worthy enough that the authorities who hate him attacked you. And what do they do having been flogged and been sent out? Not only do they raise their voices in rejoicing, but as already said, they continue to raise their voices for the truth. We could say that if you like, they were actually given a further spring in their step as they went out, as we read here, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, never stopping teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They were absolutely certain this was the truth that needed to be foretold and proclaimed. And you and I need to continue to proclaim that truth. So here we have this passage, these three voices, a voice, voices for the truth. May we join those voices. A voice for reason? Yes, it was. But it ought to have directed people to truth. A man in the Sanhedrin, God used him so that the apostles were at least only flogged and sent on their way. But having been flogged, they raised their voices 
in rejoicing. Well, we rejoice when they say all manner of evil against us and when they criticize us and mock us because we have dared to own Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen.